Welcome to episode 259 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on December 3rd, 2021. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. In this episode, Kerberos and Azure AD are sitting in a tree, A-U-T-H-E-N, what? Who came up with this title anyways? Azure AD can now issue Kerberos tickets to be used with SMB file shares authentication, is what we were trying to say. There are also some new security features in the Microsoft Authenticator app that we discuss. We should talk about Azure AD because there's some interesting, fun announcements that have popped up recently within the Azure AD space. So I found a couple of them. I don't know. These are all a few weeks old up to a couple days ago. I don't know which one you want to start with. This one's probably a simpler-ish one to start with. There are new Microsoft Authenticator security features now available in your Microsoft Authenticator app. There are. Some of these are annoying, (laughs) to be honest. You mean you don't like them? Let me get, let me look through these announcements. I think I know which one you're going to say is annoying. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see if you can get there. Number matching in Microsoft Authenticator. A new number matching. So this is not the old number matching. This is a new flavor of number matching. And this one looks to still be in public preview. I've been seeing this one for a while, but Previous number matching is you would go to Azure AD or to something using Azure AD for authentication and you would go type in your username and it would pop up with a number and then you'd get an alert on your authenticator app, you'd pop it up and you had three numbers to choose from and it was just tap the number that matched and you'd be logged in. New flavor of number matching is the same experience when you log in, a number pops up. But now when you go to the Microsoft Authenticator app, it says, are you trying to sign in? Enter the number shown to sign in. So you actually have to type the right number in the little text box and then hit yes. And hopefully you didn't flip your five and your two or read your numbers wrong or flip a nine and a six around or something like that and enter the wrong number or just not paying attention and punch in the wrong number. I'm going to guess that's the one that annoys you. It does. And particularly on mobile <laughs> devices, like if you're trying to do an all-in-one authentication flow on a mobile device, so you're on your your iPhone, you're on your Google Pixel, whatever the thing is, and you're going to log in, you hit the login screen and ever so briefly it will pop up that number and then it'll automatically redirect you over to the authenticator app. So you have some measure of time between zero and not a whole lot of seconds to grok the screen, remember the number, and then be thrown over to a totally different app. In and of itself, fine, because phones have multitasking, things like that. Like Theoretically, you should be able to bring up the other window that you came from and still see the number over there. Major pain in the ass, right? Like that you have to go and either remember to do that, or my experience has been on iOS, even like modern iOS devices, memory management and eviction for reloading pages in Safari is horrible. So by the time you go back to Safari, it's very <laughs> likely that your page is going to refresh anyway and it's not going to be there. And that's just not a great experience. So it's fine. Like if I'm on my iPad and I want to authenticate through my iPhone because that's the thing that has Authenticator installed, awesome. Yep. Or if I'm on my Mac or my Windows device and my iPhone is 
my authenticator device. Awesome. It's great. Like the numbers on my screen, I go type it into my phone, all good there. But for all in one authentication flows, I find it to be just more friction and more frustrating than the old way that it used to be. For some reason, it just, it doesn't grok with me. (laughs) It doesn't. I haven't minded it a whole lot, typing in the number. I guess I get why they did it. It's more secure because before you had, I don't know, it was probably more of a chance to accidentally authenticate somebody if you just quickly hit a number, all of that. My biggest beef with the whole number matching in general is that I can't do it from my watch anymore. I actually have to open up the mobile device. Where if the dual authenticator and... <laughs> That's another one. You you have lost forms of, or you've lost methods for being able to input. Right. I consider that to be like friction. You're making it more secure, but you're making it just ever so slightly harder for me to do. And if I'm annoyed by it, how do regular people feel about it? (laughs) Yeah. And to be fair, I feel like they could do it on the mobile device because I've had things or on the watch because I've had things pop up before, like on my watch and it gives you like the little right numbers on your watch and hit okay. So I feel like they could bring it to the watch. So even though you're still doing number matching, you just do the number matching on your watch. Yeah, it's a lot more annoying than just hit approve, but it'd be nice to be able to do it from your watch and it would help eliminate some of the issues you brought up, right? Of having to jump between apps if you're doing it on your phone and all of that is just quickly pop it up on my watch. Let me draw a couple numbers on it and hit okay. Just feels like that would be helpful. Yeah. And just to be clear, this is a preview. So using MFA notifications with number matching this way and having to type them in this way, totally a preview thing. Like you don't have to use it, but you absolutely can if you want to get on board and try it out. It does have some known issues too, outside of just like grumpy Scott kind of things where he's annoyed by it. Well, and it's a preview, preview disclaimer here. Okay. Keep going. Insert preview (laughs) disclaimer here, but there's the big one in there, especially if you're using a self-service password reset. So you use SSPR. If you turn number matching on, what happens is for your admin roles, SSPR will be pending and it's just unavailable for an indeterminate number of days. Like could be a few, could be a couple. It's a little bit of a, a weird thing. So don't just don't go turn it on if your environment's not configured yet. <laughs> you know, like if you do want to play with this, like even in the test tenant, things like that, make sure that you've got all your users configured and set up and everything ahead of time. And you've got the regular number match matching flow working. And then you can go turn on this one where you're doing the type in the type in the number thing. Yeah. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intelligent.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligent focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. 
For sure. So that was the one I was going to guess was annoy you. This next one is a nice feature. So it's I'm going to bundle two features into one because they're both tied to GPS. One of these is still in preview. One of these is general available. But in public preview, with the whole approval functionality in the Authenticator app, you now have an additional feature that will, when it pops up the whole number matching thing, it says what app they're trying to sign into, as well as their sign-in location based on IP address. So now I get, are you trying to sign in with my corporate identity? I'm trying to sign into Excel, and I'm trying to sign in from Seattle, Washington. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not in Seattle. Nobody in Seattle had better be trying to sign in as me. So it gives some additional context there when that approval pops up to be able to just better identify or prevent accidental approvals. Although if you're doing the number matching, that is a little hard because you're not even going to know what number to put in. But it provides that extra context using that IP address. And then the other one that is location-based is you can now do name-based locations and conditional access using GPS coordinates on obviously a device, probably a mobile device that actually has GPS enabled. So now instead of just doing conditional access by IP address, you can also do conditional access based on GPS coordinates. Yep, so location conditions in conditional access policies and extending that further. I would say be careful with that one. Because (laughs) if you can't report a GPS coordinate and you're trying to log in and you have that policy applied to you, you might not be able to get be let in. So you want to be careful that this one is only for those mobile devices with the ability to report their location by GPS. I think you just have to understand how your users use their devices, whether those are corporate-owned, personal, whatever that is. Like, I'll give you an example. Like last night, late at night, I had to drop one of my kids off at, at an event for school. We're coming home after that, and we just want to grab some McDonald's. So I don't have the McDonald's app on my phone. Like I don't have the Macca's app there ready to go. So I pull yep. up the website, and the website does the typical flow where it says, "Will you?" allow me to see your location. And I do that (laughs) and it says I'm in Palo Alto, California. And just by default. So without me being able to go in and type in my zip code and say, here's where I actually am and and get all the way over, like that could be so many different things. Could be like, because I'm running iCloud Private Relay. It could be because of, I just got the new MS Defender for iOS deployed with the local VPN client. I got like that going. It could be one of the plethora of extensions that I run in iOS, things like that. But I'm allowed to do all those things because it's a personal device. If I'm more locked down and I'm like on a corporate device where I can't do those types of things, like you might have a much better experience that way and be able to, I, I think, smooth it out and make it a little bit easier. But if you're dealing with definitely not only mobile devices, but mobile plus personal, you have to tread lightly with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and I haven't looked at how big of areas you can do with GPS coordinates, but I feel like this would be one you would not want to... You wouldn't want to make it a small area. I feel like if I was going to do this, it would be more larger areas... But again, uh, do you roll it out if you're going to just say anywhere in the US or anywhere in Australia, anywhere in Germany, one of those? But 
Yeah, because to your point, I show up all over the place too when I go to different websites. Yeah, I think the other one there is if you're using that condition, so you want to determine location by GPS coordinates, there's some requirements there. The user has to have the Microsoft Authenticator app installed on their mobile device. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's the way you have to go. You have to be using Microsoft Authenticator. What happens is every hour, the kind of server side of things reaches out, pings the Authenticator app to go ahead and collect that GPS location of the user, the user's mobile device. And that's what's going on with it. You have users that travel, things like that. Like within that 24-hour period, when or between that hour, they get on a plane, they fly from A to B, they could move quite a bit within there. So you just have to think about how that's going to go. And if you you actually want to want to go there. The first one you talked about, which is just pop up and show me the location folks are trying to sign in from. That's awesome. That's great. Lots of multi-factor authentication apps have been doing that for a while. So it's good to see that Azure AD has that capability. Yep, I agree. So we should jump over to, I wanted to save time for at least the one you sent me this morning. I'm just going to read the headline and then we can start talking. Azure AD... Kerberos authentication. Oh, you're going to go there. In preview. (laughs) You're going to go there. I am absolutely going to go here because this was interesting and it also was, is something that I think, and we'll talk about it. I'm going to have to go play with it. I think one of my clients might be able to use. So Azure AD Kerberos authentication. Azure AD can now issue Kerberos tickets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it, it can. In very specific Context. Right. This is not just, oh, sorry, go ahead. Or very specific use cases. If you think about Active Directory and you think about Azure Active Directory, as I think most of us know, those are two very different things. Born in the cloud authentication service <laughs> versus traditional on-premise authn and Aussie mechanism for on-premises resources. And those are really like disconnected things. They have not only different technologies that drive them, different security models, certainly. They are just completely different beasts when it comes to their dependencies. It's probably one of the really poor things that has happened with Azure AD over time is that it was ever called Azure Active Directory. If it was called Azure Cloud Authentication Services, you probably would not have all the issues that you have with it where everybody thinks it's like AD. But one of those things that's happened is because it is Azure AD, people have expected AD from Functionality, right. Sure. They want to be able to join devices to... Azure AD, they want to be able to use Azure AD for authentication. They want to, or authentication to like their PCs, their computers, and some of the stuff has come, but they want GPO. They want GPO policies. They want all of these, like you said, traditional on-prem active directory things. They're like, I want to go to the cloud. I have to use Azure AD. Where did all my AD functionality go? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and things do get different and things disappear. And for a long time, you've been able to do things like stand up your active directory in the cloud and you can deploy AD connect to it. You can do things like, I don't want to stand up a domain controller in Azure, so let me do... Active Directory as a service through Azure Active Directory domain services, which, yeah, I probably shouldn't say it, but yeah, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I said it's okay. Yeah, You were just repeating what I said. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I'm just a a parrot for good advice there. So you've had these capabilities and you've had the ability to do things and you might have wanted to do them for a number of valid reasons to use other cloud services. So one of the big ones that comes to mind is file shares. 
you want to strip down or pull down tear down whatever you call it, on-premises file shares and move those to the cloud. You don't want to move them to SharePoint. They're all just SMB shares today. You want to go straight SMB to SMB. How do you make that happen? You could deploy Azure files, but then you still needed to stand up Azure. You need to stand up Azure Active Directory just so you could have Azure in the first place, all the RBAC, things like that. But you still needed Active Directory. You had to go through this kind of weird dance where you would active and join your storage account to Active Directory. And when it came to user authentication to a file share, you still need line of sight to the domain controller for authentication to that resource that lives in the cloud to work. So it's not like the greatest experience in the world. And then you start going, all right, so this is the way I thought it was going to work. And maybe you end up deploying Azure File Sync, and now you're back to running multiple servers, whether they be on-premises and Azure, things like that. Again, theme of the day, it's friction, right? There's just more resources is more things you have to stand up. So what this capability is, it's a capability in Azure AD that allows Azure AD to issue Kerberos tickets in certain contexts and for certain kind of cloud services in Azure, with the first one being Azure Files. So very specifically, Azure AD now supports, in preview, like we'll put up that big caveat again, it supports Kerberos authentication so that you can use SMB to access files in an Azure file share using Azure AD credentials from devices, virtual machines that are joined to Azure AD or in hybrid hybrid environments. So what this means is you can allow Azure AD users to access resources like file shares, that's the first one that has this capability, that require Kerberos authentication in the cloud. And you go like, all right, that's great, but I still need Azure AD. I'm still going to have to stand up that user. They're probably still going to need to be domain joined, all those kinds of things. Like, yes, you're going to do all that. You're still going to deploy AD Connect. But the really cool thing is once all this is deployed and it's configured, your end users can then access resources like that Azure file share over the internet without requiring line of sight to the domain controller because they only need line of sight to Azure AD and Azure AD can issue that curb ticket for them. Yep. So Scott, do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Or are you sure that every team in your Microsoft 365 tenant has a valid owner? Guess what? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without planning unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archive. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams. And you can collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. That's also why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft cloud. And that's... Where I got a little excited because, like you said, the headline of the article, like 
it's Azure Active Directory authentication, how to authenticate with Kerberos. But what you said about the whole SMB file shares is literally the first line of the article. Is This is, at this point in time in preview, it appears only for SMB file shares. And I have a client that ended up in this boat. They didn't want to use SharePoint. They wanted to use Azure file shares. And they wanted to be able to authenticate and open their Azure file shares both from in the office when they had line of sight to their domain controller and when they were working from home, when they did not have line of sight to that domain controller in the office. So we did go through that whole weird dance of let's stand up a domain controller in the cloud, a domain controller on-prem, do site-to-site VPN there so we can replicate the Active Directory domain in both environments and then set up another point-to-site VPNs that when they're at home, they can connect to VPN just so that they can authenticate to the file share because they needed that line of sight to that domain controller, either up in the cloud or the domain controller on-prem. And it was, we talked about it on one episode. It was a mess of routing tables and subnets and IP addresses and VPN connections. So this would give us the ability to actually kill one of those domain controllers. We could just have one in... Azure, we could just have one on-prem, but they would no longer now need to connect to a VPN when they're not at the office just to get that line of sight to their domain controller. They can now just use Azure Active Directory. They can use their hybrid joined device and just authenticate straight away to these Azure file shares. From an authentication standpoint, as I'm talking through this, it just also hit me that you run into port blocking by ISPs, which was another reason we needed the VPN for those SMB file shares is that port was blocked, which could lead into the whole other discussion about other updates to file shares that we talked about, I think, last week. But this is definitely an interesting one. But like you said, there's lots of caveats and configurations here to go through as well. <laughs> yeah, so there is quite a bit going on. If you want to set this up and play with it, you need Azure AD, you need Active Directory on premises so that you can deploy Azure AD Connect. So the users and security groups that this capability can issue Kerberos tickets for relies on synchronized users and groups. So you can't set up, say, Azure RBAC to an Azure file share for a cloud-only security group. It has to be a security group that's synced from your on-premises AD up to Azure to get that all going. You need to be on an enlightened client that understands how to go to Azure AD and accept this Kerberos ticket from Azure AD. So there's some requirements there. Depending on where you're at, where you've deployed, that could be just being on Windows 11 Enterprise with the right CU or right patch level update installed. Same thing, Windows 10 Enterprise could work for you there. Windows Server 2022, that could do it. There's certainly Windows Insider builds, things like that, that allow it to all come together. So if you meet the requirements from a, I think, a cloud services kind of thing, you've got Azure AD, you've got an Azure subscription, and then on-premises side, you have Active Directory and you have Active Directory domain services deployed, 
with Azure Active Directory Connect, then you're ready to go and get on board this train and see if it is something that is going to make your life a little bit easier. Another thing to call out here is this works with Azure files in a storage account. And like I mentioned before, you've had this ability to join effectively your storage account to your on-premises domain and do ADS authentication against it. If you're going to go down this method and you want to do Azure AD authentication and Azure Active Directory domain services authentication, you can't do that. You have to pick. It's a one or the other choice. It's a binary decision for you. It's not a hey, I'm going to use both of these and have one as a fallback kind of thing. So you get through all those caveats like, and, and you're ready to go. It's super, I, I wouldn't say it's super easy, but it is easy to onboard. Like it is well-documented. You're going to have to know a little bit about PowerShell or how to work with the management plane of Azure and some of the REST APIs there. Uh, so specifically management.azure.com and maybe some of the REST APIs on that side, as well as potentially the graph. But the documentation, which I'll, I'll link in the show notes for, it walks you straight through how to deploy a new storage account, how to tell that storage account, how to set a property on that storage account that you want to authenticate with Azure files through Kerberos tickets issued from Azure AD. So you're going to set this thing called directory service options on the storage account, and that's going to be set to a value of AD curb. That all makes sense. Pretty easy to pretty easy to get on board with there. You're going to create a new storage account key in that storage account. So think like a, a password specific for that storage account. And then you're going to take that key and you're going to go create an Azure AD service principle and an or an Azure AD app registration that sits behind that, that uses that key. And what that app registration is doing is it's using a couple of different endpoints within it. So specifically your storage account name.file.core.windows.net on the HTTP endpoint, SIFS endpoint, host endpoint, things like that to effectively you know, mimic what would be like an SPN registration for you in your on-premises directory today where you would do the same kind of thing, have an SPN that's tied to one or more hosts and bring that all back together for you. So you'll create that app registration, set all that up, and you'll give that app registration a couple API permissions and graph. That's all fairly straightforward. Once you're done with that, you're done with the cloud side of things. Go on-prem and you can start configuring that. You probably want to stand up like a share and maybe some subdirectories within there, apply some permissions, things like that, just to go ahead and test it out. But you're pretty much ready to go on the on-prem side of things. Uh, you do have to deploy some new registry keys. Uh, specifically, there's one or two out there. Uh, so there's a group policy that you can go ahead and set which is uh, Administrative Template System Kerberos. And it's called Allow Retrieving the Azure AD Kerberos Ticket Granting Ticket, so the TGT, during logon. Or you can set a registry key to do the same thing. There's a registry key, Cloud Kerberos Ticket Retrieval Enabled. It's just a D word and one or zero on or off. 
And then you can go and just check and see if you're issuing uh, Kerberos tickets from Azure AD. So this lets you, in the case of your client, where they want to be able to access file shares from in the office and at home without the VPN, like that's a valid use case. Another one here is also shared user profiles for things like Windows Virtual Desktop deployments, or are we calling it, are they Microsoft Virtual Desktop? AVD, is it AVD, WVD, AVD, Azure? It's Windows. No, it's not Azure. Yes, it's Azure. It's Azure Virtual Desktops. All right. Although Microsoft... <laughs> and na names change all the time. If you're doing things like AVD, you can use it there for maybe like storage of FS Logics roaming profiles for your users. So that opens some things up. Or you can just have regular Azure AD joined VMs. Same kind of thing, just using FS Logics profiles. To do that, you do have to configure the session hosts. Same kind of thing, right? It's group policy, it's setting the registry values and, and all that good kind of stuff. Yes. And it isn't, we said it already, but it's in preview. Like Scott said, go test this out. Don't just go turn this on or start configuring this on your production Azure file shares or SMB shares, SMB shares in Azure because it is preview. There's lots of moving parts and you don't want to break something and lose access to your production file shares. I don't think. I would not want to do that. Probably not the best idea, but super, super cool capability. I'm interested to see where it goes next. If you have this capability to set up the equivalent of an SPN in Azure AD, and specifically an SPN that can participate in Kerberos auth, are there other types of applications that you can bring beyond SMB file that might make it a little bit easier? I was trying to sit here and think what other applications require line of sight to a domain controller. You could have lots of on-premises apps. Like think like web apps that are doing traditional Windows Auth N. Uh, yep. And Kerberos, I'm sure you've configured a a SharePoint farm that does Kerberos over into LM. A whole bunch of times. And that's a headache. Like those things still exist and they're totally out there and and kicking around. Yeah. Super super cool capability. I think it'll open up a whole bunch of doors, especially once it iterates and gets out of preview. Definitely. Very cool. All right. Well, with that, we should wrap because I have a meeting in five minutes. Always the meetings with you. Always a meeting. Today, it's like an all-day meeting, otherwise known as training. <laughs> otherwise known as training. Gotcha. Then we'll let you wrap so you can get to your training. All right. Sounds good. And I will let you get to work on this beautiful Friday Day, Friday, day, Friday in yeah, Florida. It's back to Kusto and Azure DevOps for me. We should talk about that sometime. Re re remind me and, and go down that rabbit hole too. You just did what you tell me never to do. Talk about what we're going to talk about in the future. Oh, that's okay. This isn't going to be. Yes. This isn't going to be in the recording. Scott. It's fine. Yeah, it is. Marco, put this in. <laughs> All right. All right. Sounds good. That's Scott. We will talk to you later. Thanks, Ben. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.